When the Institute of Medicine speaks, healthcare professionals and policymakers listen. But then what? This fall, the IOM, in collaboration with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, put a stake in the ground with a new report focused on both the future of the nursing profession and the future needs of the U.S. healthcare system, insisting that neither strategy can be talked about in isolation of the other, not if either is to improve and succeed. There's a lot of common sense in the recommendations, including proposals of the U.S. healthcare system, insisting that neither strategy can be talked about in isolation of the other, not if either is to improve and succeed. There's a lot of common sense in the recommendations, including proposals that seek to overcome current barriers and limitations in nursing education, training, and practice. We're going to dig into as much of this as we can on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, offered every other week and also for your convenience as a downloadable file via IHI.org, and you can also get it on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. It's a real honor to have assembled our guests today to talk about nursing and healthcare reform, something we did with Secretary Shalala at an earlier stage of this inquiry in July 2009. I'd like to now introduce our guests and a reminder that more detailed bios are on the WIHI web pages. You could also Google each of them and find out a great deal as well. Donna Shalala is on the phone from Florida, where she's professor of political science and president of the University of Miami. As most of you know, Donna Shalala was Secretary Shalala for eight years, from 1998 to 2001. Whoops, I meant to say 1993, I believe heading up the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Just recently, she chaired a commission that led to the report, The Future of Nursing, Leading Change, Advancing Health. Welcome to WIHI, Donna Shalala. Thank you. Okay, terrific. The vice chair of this same commission was Linda Burns-Bolton, who was also vice president for nursing, chief nursing officer, and director of nursing research at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Welcome to WIHI. And it's my great pleasure to welcome Patricia Benner to WIHI. Pat Benner is a senior scholar with the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching and the author of two books well-known to many participants, From Novice to Expert, and most recently co-authored with three others, Educating Nursing, A Call for Radical Transformation. Welcome, Pat Benner. Thank you. Terrific. All right, and you're in Canada today, is that correct? Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, it, I, I want everyone to know that we, we go to great pains here to make sure everybody gets connected through phone and computer, uh, wherever they may be. And uh, if we uh, if anybody's too soft or uh, too quiet or a little noisy, we'll, we'll adjust things in the first few minutes here. So I want to start first with President Shalala. Uh, when change is in the air and being called for, it couldn't be better than to hear firsthand from the chair of a committee that worked so hard for over a year to pull data and testimony and information and recommendations together. A reminder that we offered you a link to the report uh, as we promoted uh, this program, so it's on IHI.org, and you, of course, can find it on the IOM website and a link, I'm sure, from the Robert Wood Johnson's own website. President Shalala, I'd like to start by having you remind everyone one of the key takeaways that were first presented to the public on October 4th. 
Well, the context for the report is actually the legislation that was passed. We are about to move to comprehensive health care coverage for almost every American. That will require all parts of the health care system to step up, but particularly nurses. And so our recommendations are written in the context of major health care reform. Hand in hand, um, we uh, make four key points in the report. Every nurse should be able to practice to the the fullest extent of her education and training. We believe that legal scope of practice barriers to nurse practitioners providing the care they are trained to give is inexcusable now and will be more so in the new era. As we try to absorb 32 million Americans gaining health insurance coverage, our country will need every nursing hand to be able to give her all. Some states are better than others in integrating nurses into high-quality patient care. That's a very important recommendation. The second key message foresees an improved education system that promotes seamless academic procession. We actually call for 80% of those that are trained in nursing to have a BSN degree um, over um, by 2020. Uh, we need to double the number of nurses with doctorates as well. The point is that we underinvest in nursing now, and we're going to need nurses, particularly uh, nurse practitioners, uh, in the future. The third recommendation is that nurses have to be seen and heard as leaders, as full partners with physicians and others in redesigning the new era of U.S. healthcare. No one knows better than nurses because they're on the front line what needs to be done to make our healthcare system of the highest quality and more accessible and certainly safer. And the fourth key message is to improve the information infrastructure in our own part of the world. We've got to have better data, and one of the things we ran into is we just don't have very good data. We're not collecting it year by year that will help us to plan for the workforce needs in the future. Uh, thank you, President Shalala. Uh, here's something I think I wanted to ask you, which uh, we, I, just a, as a sort of uh, impromptu question here. You spent a lot of time, uh, you and the committee participants, uh, holding hearings and testimony around the country. Um, I, I, I just to remind people of kind of, you know, a report comes out, it's a document, you can a- download it as a PDF, but this was also a really tremendous experience and endeavor. And maybe just uh, for a minute or two, just remind us of, uh, in some sense, what was so powerful for you about sort of gathering uh, that information from nurses across the country and anything especially memorable from that? Well, I think that uh, what was stunning is how much we know already and what nurses are doing across the country to improve the quality of health care. If they got the boost that they needed and the authority that they need, we really could handle the 32 million that are coming back in. So time and time again, we heard from nurse leaders about what they were doing, and it was remarkably effective. We also heard from physicians about the necessity that they thought that uh, our recommendations uh, would lead to substantial change in the healthcare system. The panel was made up of 18 individuals. Not all were nurses, in fact. Uh, there were doctors and uh, budget experts, economists, uh, social scientists, 
it represented a large variety of people. The vast majority of people didn't know very much about nursing before we started out. Thank you. All right. So this is WIHI. I'm Madge Kaplan, and you've just been listening to President Donna Shalala from the University of Miami, and we're talking about the future of nursing and the future of health reform. I want to now uh, bring in uh, very briefly first uh, Patricia Benner and then Linda Burns-Bolton. Pat Benner, um, you've told me and many others that your hope is that this uh, new IOM report um, and the report that you and or book, I guess we could call it, you co-authored for the Carnegie Foundation, that the combination might pack a pretty powerful punch and propel some action. Um, is, is that one of your hopes, and uh, how, how might that happen? Well, it indeed is one of our hopes at, at the whole Carnegie Foundation because in our study we really – uh, could describe in depth the absolute potential and the current accomplishments of uh, nursing education while recommending um, uh, a, a real upgrade. And uh, we find so many overlaps between the Carnegie recommendations and the uh, IOM and RWJ report. Our, um, uh, so we're very excited about this report. We really believe that if nurses were fully utilized to their capacity with their emphasis on human development of health promotion, illness prevention, and as well as their capacities in this full range of health care delivery, including primary care and acute care and long-term care, home care, that we would really um, um, bring to bear a, a very underutilized and underfunded uh, sector of healthcare. And um, it, we're really urging uh, nurse educators to step up to the plate and also all of those involved in healthcare policy making to make more funds available and to really upgrade uh, basic nursing education. We're very proud of the advanced nurse practice role. It's really demonstrated its worth and its quality and its effectiveness, and uh, we agree with the IOM report that it's currently underutilized. Now, one of your major concerns and the research and what you've uh, been talking about, even in your latest book, uh, Educating Nurses, is that there is, however, a gap between what nurses are learning and being taught now and what they need to know to really uh, kind of fulfill. Uh, there's both the picture of everything that nurses know and sort of underutilizing uh, those skills and knowledge and also um, kind of what needs to improve here. Uh, this is a, a kind of a brief sort of program, and so we can't go uh, into great detail. And, of course, I, re I encourage everyone to read all these reports and literature. But sort of highlight a few things. What's missing? Where are the gaps? Well, I think the gaps are in uh, we have a real problem with um, our multiple pathways to entry in that the community college system is currently taking much too long in many states. It may take up to, uh, at, at an average in California, is four and 4.65 years for a community college uh, lower division program. And part of that is due to underfunding and due to lack of adequate um, seamless connection between the um, community college and the baccalaureate level education. 
uh, both the IOM report and Carnegie are really trying to address that, recommending a seamless progression from the community college to baccalaureate. And we both cite different examples. We cite in particular the Oregon Health Sciences um, Consortium, which has arranged a double entry into the community college and the Oregon Health Sciences University for a singular curriculum and seamless uh, progression, and we're very excited about that. Um, we also think that nurses have a lot more, if given the structural opportunity, a lot more to offer in health promotion and illness prevention and in managing multiple chronic illnesses as our aging uh, population continues to need more care um, for chronic illnesses and particularly multiple chronic illness. We know we face our epidemic of diabetes, of um, uh, congestive heart failure is going to be a major problem, and I think nurses are well positioned uh, to answer those uh, healthcare needs and focus on well-being and health promotion. Um, I think that nurses are also well prepared and have demonstrated have, uh, their use in primary care. So I'm very excited about. Um, really taking a new look. I think there has been a recognition lag uh, on the part of society and policymakers about what nursing could offer to the current healthcare scene if they were given more public voice and more public space and, and structural um, care delivery to really offer what they know how to offer. But having said that, we really want to upgrade undergraduate education with more natural and social sciences and more policy sciences and mm -hmm. more uh, safety engineering, more um, uh, leadership system uh, repair kinds of uh, uh, preparation, which I think has really started in many curricula already across the nation. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Pat. Uh, I appreciate sort of trying to summarize all that. I want to turn now to Linda Burns Bolton from Cedar sinai and uh, I guess the, the question I thought I would lob your way for starters is wh whether we're talking about taking kind of moving things from associate's degree to bachelor's prepared and then more into a master's track, and then, of course, there's a lot lot of discussion right now about more emphasis on doctoral degrees in preparation. None of it's possible if there aren't the teachers and the faculty, and I've already got somebody who's uh, crept into our chat here asking that very question. So Linda Burns-Bolton, uh, I know the report addresses this. Uh, it seems to be a hugely crying need now. Nursing shortage stories almost sort of became, became the secondary story to where are the faculty so that more students can actually uh, get into the schools. Well, thank you very much. You know, the, the, we, the committee did address this question, and first of all, we in, in the, the open forums that we held and the things we were able to receive in terms of testimony from across uh, the United States, uh, we saw great examples that exist th uh, throughout our country of where, the, where this issue has been uh, addressed. Uh, uh, Dr. Benner uh, gave one example in terms of the ACNE report, uh, but we believe that the, the recommendation that we have about doubling the number of nurses with doctorate degrees is, is essential to uh, having sufficient faculty, but 
before that, it's uh, having a pipeline of individuals who could become faculty. So we need individuals prepared at the baccalaureate degree level who could then advance to the master's and doctorate level to, be, to become faculty. So that, that recommendation about achieving 80% by 2020 is not just to say we have a higher proportion of nurses who have, uh, have uh, a baccalaureate degree. It's because we cannot address the faculty shortage without having an entrance uh, pipeline of individuals who could then go into master's and doctorate programs. The second piece is that we saw a lot of, lots of examples of where there's been great uh, collaboration between academia and service uh, so that individuals who are sitting in institutions like mine or in, uh, who might be in, even in community hospitals who have master's prepared nurses who could, who, would be, who could be prepared to address the clinical faculty shortage, which is the largest part of that shortage, uh, in terms of having sufficient individuals who can provide the, that clinical faculty uh, role. And in line with that, look for innovation and uh, innovative ways to uh, provide students with uh, clinical uh, uh, rotation uh, because besides the faculty shortage, not having access to clinical services to learn uh, some of the aspects of, of, of delivering care is, is, was the other big piece. So our recommendations uh, around the need for interdisciplinary education, because we believe, as Dr. Bennett said, it's not just learning nursing arts with, uh, and that type of thing. It's about learning how do you engage uh, uh, in trying to improve the health at the individual level as well as at the population level. And that takes learning together in, in terms of interdisciplinary collaboration and using faculty, not just who are nurses, but using other faculty to be able to support the preparation of a qualified nursing workforce. Thank you very much. And uh, just a quick note, I really appreciate all that. Uh, you've just been listening to Linda Burns-Bolton. I was just going to say you might, uh, when as we continue, maybe hold the, uh, your handset maybe just a little bit uh, further away. For some reason, we're just getting a little distortion. But we heard you very clearly. Uh, appreciate that very much. I think a follow-up question that I guess I would ask you, uh, if you, I, I, I've been thinking a lot as uh, as I look at all these recommendations and both the uh, the obvious need and sort of what it takes to sort of turn around things, turn around a profession, turn around a system, turn around all the kind of educational uh, sort of pillars here. If you could wave a magic wand, um, and uh, Linda, and as far as sort of some policy lever or some change that would really sort of start to kind of loosen things up around faculty. I know we're t talking about a lot of different types of things that, that can uh, make teaching possible. Can, can you suggest one or two that, uh, you know, could really start changing uh, the ball game here? Well, we, we, we suggest in our report that it's very important to, to look at uh, the, the, the funding line, and we believe that uh, we should, that the uh, CMS, in terms of the nursing education funds that they provide for the uh, uh, diploma schools, should re redirect some of those dollars uh, to, to uh programs that are going to be preparing nurses uh, at the baccalaureate degree and help in relationship to uh, preparing nurses to transition from uh, their undergraduate degree uh, uh, to uh, their, their professional role in, in terms of the nurse residency programs. 
And then second, we may rec- we believe that it's, it's, as I gave the example of the work that needs to be done uh, about uh, looking at different ways of preparing nurses, like the use of uh, simulation and how technology can assist in that, that will allow the in- increase the capacity of the nursing schools in terms of the faculty to be able to deliver care to more, deliver uh, education to, to more individuals. So I, I give those two examples as yep. I think that are very important in terms of turnkeys that could be implemented. Okay, thank you very much. That's very helpful. I want to invite uh, uh, President Shalala and, and also Pat, feel free to uh, let me know or chime in on, on any of these things. I, I of course, uh, I have a couple more sort of uh, broad questions I want to ask, and then we'll open things up for chat for real. Uh, but President Shalala, is there anything you want to add? Uh, no, I think Linda handles it uh, uh, in a very comprehensive way. Okay. So uh, here, here's a, a question um, that I want to just get out on the table because, of course, uh, the news media hopped all over this, as they have in the past, and that has to do with the scope of practice issues and uh, uh, sort of what becomes sometimes a bit of a lightning rod or third rail of what can be talked about as far as advanced practice nurses uh, gaining uh, kind of an expansion uh, that can uh, integrate them much more into primary care and perhaps, uh, you know, even being uh, more solid partners with physicians here. I guess my question to you is, do you think, thinking about how that debate has played out over many, many years, do you think that the facts on the ground now may yield some slightly different breakthroughs here and what we're talking about and change? Um, wondering if the issue can become less of a flashpoint, perhaps if the lens gets wider and we are thinking much more about teamwork and primary care and who is needed, you know, what are all the skills needed as opposed to anybody's individual scope of practice? I think so. It's still, you know, people are tied to the old ways and the politics is certainly tied to the old ways, but the fact is at the end of the day, we can't do it. We can't cover all these people unless we expand the scope of practice of nurses. We talked to state legislators recently, and one of the points that we made to them and to their staffs is here they're investing huge amounts of public taxpayer money in the education of nursing in their states. And then they're losing those nurses to other states that allow those nurses to work up to their training. And so uh, the states are going to have to step up and recognize the disparity because between, on one hand, what they do in their investments for education, on the other hand, what they do politically in restraining scope of practice. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, and perhaps I, it's, several people have started asking questions, and uh, we'll kind of circle around through that issue again and others. I guess one more question uh, for you, Pat Benner, before we open up chat, and that has to do with leadership. Uh, it's it's a theme that runs through the report. It's run through a lot of discussions, a somewhat of ironic situation. Uh, this program, a perfect example of the leadership uh, that exists in nursing uh, all across the country and yet uh, often lacking the clout still uh, and not enough uh, at the key decision-making points. And I guess I wondered uh, what your thoughts are on that in terms of, again, you know, some things that might sort of loosen this situation, Pat? Well, I think both um, the... Um, you can talk up a little bit. Thank you. Oh, I think both the physician... Thank you. Education, yeah, the physician 
education study and the nursing education study recommend more policy and systems training for nurses and physicians more and certainly nurses need a lot more preparation for uh, participation in the policy and um, and even the ethical forum for a more just healthcare system. And um, I think that will increase the leadership. But we also need um, a better educated society and legislator and policymakers to understand what nursing is uh, currently. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of really outdated views of what nursing has to offer, and we simply don't get the public space um, and attention for the level of work that we're doing, for the level of responsibility that we're carrying, and I think um, media could really help with that um, because um, uh, physicians are often used as the authority points, nurses less often, and yet nurses really are the patient's first and last line of defense and the, one, the ones who are present 24-7 in most healthcare settings. All right. Thank you very much. All right. You've just been listening to Pat Benner, uh, President Donna Shalala at the University of Miami, and we have Linda Burns-Bolton from Cedars-Sinai. And uh, we're now going to, and we're talking about nursing's new roadmap, Education, the Workforce, and Healthcare Quality. What a good title. And uh, we will uh, now move to our participants. There are a few people who somehow found their way right onto our chat uh, already, and I'm trying to cruise through some of those questions as well. But I want Jesse McCall here to remind everyone how you can uh, post questions and comments and be part of the show. Absolutely, Madge. So I just opened the chat for all of you to type in your questions and comments. Uh, I'd just like to remind you, when you are sending messages, please make sure to send them to all attendees. That'll make sure everyone on the program today and our guests will be able to see your questions. Uh, one came in that I'd like to get out there, uh, and you meant... no. <laughs> I know I was people all teed up. And pe- then it people are moving fast. Uh, yeah. From Janice Hand, as nurses become more professional academically, many become disconnected from the patient. It's the administrative function that's drawing them away from being at the bedside. Is there a, a magic mix out there, uh, or is there anything that we can standardize around their um, their time? Thanks, Jesse, and that's from Janice. All right, who wants who wants to jump in on that one? Well, I, I certainly do. This is this is Linda Burns Bolton. Okay. Uh, a couple of things, and we uh, gave a few examples in our report. Uh, the, our efforts to improve the practice environment uh, in uh, an acute care setting and some work that's beginning to be done in, in community settings is, has been successful in keeping nurses who are masters prepared and indeed some who are, who, who are prepared at the doctor level right at the point of care. The reason they were leaving was, was not so much uh, that they wanted to get into administration uh, or, or, but, or, or education, but was because the work that they wanted to do, the valued work of nursing, they weren't able to do it. So through efforts uh, uh, from programs uh, that both the IHI actually helped create and lead and uh, sponsored by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation called Transforming Care at the Bedside, we have been able to uh, create a model to attract uh, a highly educated workforce, and as a result of that, that workforce has improved, helped to improve clinical care outcomes. So uh, that's number one. And then the second piece 
is that they, those, these individuals can serve and are serving as the clinical faculty, back to that issue of the faculty shortage. And so there are programs, uh, academia and service programs, where they're using th these individuals, these nurses, uh, to be able to uh, support the learning that new graduates need, as well as uh, pre-licensure individuals as they come into the clinical setting. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, either uh, Donna or Pat, do you do you want to uh, add anything, or sh shall I move on? Why don't you move on? Okay, that's great. You know, I'm getting, uh, I'm trying to sort of cruise through and look uh, peruse these questions, and I, I here's one theme that I see going on here. So, um, one person is asking about uh, sort of the just the never mind uh, APNs. What about the underutilization of the skills of RNs? So that. That's a question, and a sort of related one. Um, it says, how do we bridge these types of interdisciplinary gaps when we still struggle with each other? And I suppose the, there's some other ones here that seem to suggest that, in a way, uh, kind of the alphabet soup here, which has real meaning in terms of education and training, uh, seems to maybe even put nurses at odds with each other. Uh, who, who would like to uh, address that? And also whether uh, RNs themselves feel, whether they get a, an advanced degree or masters or not, that they themselves uh, are not being tapped adequately? Uh, I'd like to address that. Okay, first of all, Pat. Okay. It, uh, first of all, it is a bit of a myth that nurses are underutilized in acute care settings. They have huge responsibilities because all of the therapies are patient response-based therapies. So nurses are using quite advanced levels of skills of judgment in titrating therapies and medications. Uh, they're certainly underutilized um, in some healthcare settings, but we know that we could have a greater impact on long-term care inc by increasing the utilization of the staff nurse. And we know that um, when Irout and others have compared the utilization of engineers and nurses, they find on that first job for nurses, nurses are typically uh, given more responsibility than is quite reasonable for their level of practice upon graduation, whereas engineers are underutilized. Um, so I don't think underutilization in acute care settings is a major problem. I don't think the research bears that out. Uh, nurses have huge amounts of responsibility but of delivering and administering and monitoring the care in absence of uh, the physician. But I think in other settings, um, uh, we, we've pretty much lost our public health uh, service in the U.S., and this is costing us a lot of money, and this is one of the areas that I have hope for the um, new health care reform, that we may increase uh, public health. Okay, thanks, uh, Pat. Uh, another theme that's running through some questions here is has to do with generations, uh, kind of uh, sort of people having a better handle on uh, what a newer generation, and in some sense, in some cases here, that question means younger, and in some question, cases, people are talking about a generation coming in as second career uh, folks coming into nursing, and sort of what are we learning there about uh, both the education education, leadership, mentoring that's needed. Um, anyone want to try that one? Uh, Linda? 
Well, I'll, I'll start. Uh, absolutely. One of the fastest growing uh, uh, areas in terms of who's coming into uh, nursing programs are the second career individuals. And what we learn from those individuals, whether they are coming in in programs called master's entry into clinical nursing or, or, or others, is that A, they come with a, a lot of lifelong uh, skills that can help in addressing uh, the very complex issues of how do you help individuals as well as populations. And B, they are eager to be able to to lead change, uh, which is one of the recommendations we have in the report. Uh, and they, they, they are willing to put forth new ideas and even sh challenge the status quo of how work is done and both in acute care settings as well as in, in public health settings. So the, the generation uh, differences have always existed. What we see now in terms of the, the, the new grad coming into uh, clinical settings is, a, for the most part, particularly with second career individuals, a much more knowledgeable worker who's uh, very interested in not just doing but understanding why we're doing that and challenging is there another way to be able to provide uh, a better care. Okay, thank you. Uh, I guess another area that I'd like to ask are sort of uh, about nurse residency programs. Uh, that's being talked about more. I listened to a clip uh, from a Talk of the Nation on NPR show um, sort of talking about the IOM report. And um, in terms of nurse residency programs came up as an interesting way to uh, begin to maybe address, if we think it's legitimate at all, but maybe address some of these concerns about uh, the additional training also needed uh, to be more equal partners in primary care. Uh, Donna Shalala, is, is that a very important and key component uh, in, in your thoughts? It is. And um, uh, there's enough evidence that residency programs will improve retention and reduce patient error. That's justification enough for hospitals and other healthcare institutions to seriously consider putting these in place. Okay, thank you. Um, I, go I ahead, Pat, go ahead. On that too. Sure, Pat, better. The uh, Carnegie Foundation study um, is calling for uh, residencies for all uh, basic new graduate um, graduates in nursing education. And we're, we're requesting that those residencies cover two areas. One is in-depth preparation uh, for specific patient populations because you can't stay in school long enough to get all you need for uh, all the particular patient populations. So that real, um, that real in-depth preparation, I think, can be covered in that residency. Also, the complex local specific knowledge in our various healthcare uh, services and delivery systems um, should be covered in the residency. And then we need to upgrade the um, situated cli uh, uh, clinical and classroom teaching. We need to upgrade knowledge acquisition and knowledge use in the undergraduate nursing programs, and we need to really uh, improve the science prerequisites and the science, the situated science that's taught upon inter after the student enters the nursing program. We know we need to upgrade natural and human sciences as well as 
genomics, uh, anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, and we need to really focus that science education in very situated clinical ways so that we don't go down the path that medical education has gone with uh, uh, having a difficult a difficult time integrating uh, bench and uh, and clinical sciences and science uh, at knowledge acquisition and science use. Uh, Pat Benner and and anyone who wants to weigh in and this came up in a discussion where I was t- uh, with talking with some others on a previous WIHI about new medical schools that are coming online, but sort of finding ways to sort of create more continuous uh, kind of uh, interconnections between all these levels of uh, preparation. I see a lot of questions in chat here. Somebody's saying, BSN, question mark, how long can people stay in school? Uh, is there some way that any of this start can be more almost streamlined in a, in a continuous way? So we just stay with education for one more moment here. Uh, and any thinking about that? Did that come up uh, in the report? Yes, well, it did. Go. It did. Okay. Who, who, all right, let's see. Uh, Donna, I'll start with you. Uh, it certainly did. And um, one of the reasons that uh, we recommended moving to the BSN is it's now taking the average student almost four years to finish a two-year degree and because they're going back and taking prerequisites. So we said, shoot, if it's taking them that long to do that, we need better trained nurses and um, getting a four-year degree is going to be mandatory in this brave new world of sophisticated uh, medicine that we're going into. And so we move to the norm being the four-year degree. That means that we'll need transition programs and bridges. We even identified resources uh, to make sure that resources were available for this. Mm-hmm. And this is Linda. Yep. We, we, the resources that Donna spoke up, we gave um, many examples, and we would also encourage the listeners, besides the report, is to uh, uh, go to the forums, uh, which you can also find at the IOM website, because those open forums that we held, and we held one on education in Houston, uh, have provide examples of work that's being done uh, to transition uh, uh, nurses in terms of education, but also to use uh, more online education uh, to help with getting through the prerequisites, as well as using technology to help in terms of delivering competency-based uh, nursing education. Right, and uh, the Good. Carnegie study did recommend strongly that we have a national panel to really take a look at those prerequisites and upgrade them and make them a much more situated um, uh, clinical uh, knowledge acquisition about the sciences and that use in practice. So we do have um, some very constructive work to do uh, in upgrading um, nursing education, but I totally agree currently uh, we really have to uh, come to agreement that um, nurses agree. Okay, we kind of just just lost a, a, a little blip there, but I, I think we got uh, the just uh, thank you, uh, Pat. Here's a question. Uh, again, all a, any one of you, uh, we can kind of round robin it. Uh, but um, many of the folks who are joining today, I can tell from uh, the questions, there are almost a thousand of you, which is a fantastic response. Thank you. Um, are you know? Well, some are in education, some are students, some are uh, in in positions of leadership and authority across the healthcare 
healthcare uh, continuum here. Um, Donna, uh, President Shalala, and Linda Burns-Bolton, you both told me that there are sort of some concrete things that are already being conceived of or underway, both at the University of Miami and at Cedars-Sinai. And I wanted to give uh, folks here some sense of things that can already be underway uh, to sort of show what we're talking about here, even while some huge changes need to take place. Uh, President Shalala, want to start with you? No, let Linda start. Or let Linda start, okay. (laughs) Well, a couple of examples that we're doing here at at, at uh, Sinai. We have had uh, a wonderful partnership with our our universities, and so to enable uh, the uh, the both the UCLA as well as uh, California State University LA and others to be able to take in more students uh, is that we we developed a program where uh, one of our master's prepared uh, staff members uh, educators uh, is responsible for for eight students and uh, uh, meets all the credentials that are required uh, by the Board of Registered Nursing to be service clinical faculty. And that has enabled those schools to, to increase the number of individuals who come in uh, to their programs. And, and it has also enabled us to give feedback to the university about their programs. And so the, this, this sort of joint learning. So that's one. The second example I'd give is a program that we have uh, to uh, uh, to advance the uh, work that we do as as interdisciplinary team members. So we have had for a long time a physician RN collaborative, uh, where physicians and nurses work together uh, in, in with a physician champion and a nursing champion uh, on every patient care unit uh, to identify what could we do better to improve the care uh, on on that unit. Uh, we do so the nurses are leading with physicians on improving care and we've had uh, some excellent clinical outcomes uh, as well as some cost savings by helping to reduce uh, uh, turnover because back to this practice environment uh, thing that that I mentioned earlier improving the practice environment through the work uh, that we did under transforming care at the bedside can lead to reduction in, in nursing turnover nursing turnover a cost Cost you know about sixty six thousand dollars every time you turn over a nurse, but B it also it, you know helps in terms of improving clinical outcomes. Uh, thank you, uh, President Shalala. Anything you wanted to add or? Um, no, our uh, second degree program, the accelerated program, yeah. has been wildly successful here. Um, no question that we're getting very strong students. Can you describe really that very briefly? Here. Can you describe that briefly? What that no, is? No, it's a one year, a complete calendar year, accelerated. Uh, program for people to get a second degree, the BS ah, in nursing. Okay. Um, a lot of the students already come in with their science base, but had not thought about going into nursing. And we're just getting uh, substantial numbers of people who already have their bachelor's degree who want to come and get a nursing degree. Now, it's a very tough program academically, but we've been very successful. In addition to that, we are training some new PhDs. We have to focus on the preparation of faculty. We, the new uh, doctorate in nursing practice is another way in which we can offer clinical uh, doctorates uh, to faculty members and help our community colleges in particular to upgrade their faculty skills. Thank you. Uh, go ahead, Pat. Go right ahead. Yep. 
We, um, the experience across the United States from our study has been uh, incredibly positive with this fastest growing segment of the second baccalaureate degree entry, whether they come in and get a second baccalaureate degree or as they've done for uh, the last um, 20 years at UCSF and get a master's degree. In the Carnegie um, report, we also recommended that we increase the number of AD diploma to master's degree because there's more incentive and um, for the graduate um, to enter a master's program because that's the only way they can really change their job status and their utilization and it would be um, a real fulfill a real need in the healthcare system if we had more advanced uh, practice nurses so we are recommending the establishment of more AD in and diploma to master's programs Thank you. Uh, President Shalala, a follow-up uh, question to your comments. Somebody is asking uh, at the University of Miami, the accelerated program you mentioned, is that for nurses that already have a degree uh, no, just for them for to get an accelerated? have a nursing degree. It's, it's definitely for people that do not have a nursing degree, only have an undergraduate degree. Okay. And okay. it's a one-year accelerated program. Okay. Here's so it's not a two-semester program. Yes. Yeah summers too. Okay, very good. I'm going to slide in with one comment here, and that is with our national forum coming up in Orlando on December 5th through 8th. That's IHI's national forum. Uh, Linda Burns-Bolton referring to improving the practice environment, which is something that IHI is very involved in. There are definitely two interesting uh, panels that are taking place uh, there, and there's some slides that are going up here, and one has to do with breakthroughs in reducing nurse documentation time. That has to do with the practice environment environment for sure, and um, a major learning lab on Sunday, December 5th, the transformation of nursing care delivery. And uh, both these sessions, as well as everything going on at the forum, you can find out more on our website, IHI.org. You can just click on the National Forum brochure. So here, uh, here's an interesting question. There's some thorny things that people are asking about because there's just so much we could talk about. One has to do with pay, salary differentials that... Uh, problems of attracting nurse fa into faculty positions because of pay issues as well as uh, in nursing overall and um, shortage issues continue to be talked about on the chat as well and I guess uh, I have not been able to wade through all of the report and I uh, the IOM report and I guess I wanted to ask either President Shalala or Linda Burns Bolton uh, how either of those issues might be uh, were discussed at all in terms of both shortage issues and maybe some pay issues yeah, actually, I should answer the question because Linda's part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, do tell. Of course, have become so competitive with the university yeah. um, on salaries <laughs> that it's very difficult for universities to keep up. We are market-driven, though. Yep. Um, uh, but um, that's why we have to increase the number of people. We'd love to have more people who have had uh, real hospital experience, acute care experience, all sorts of clinical experience coming and getting doctorates and becoming members of the faculty. So we have to try to transition people and find a way in which we can pay them adequately while they're getting their doctorates because we, uh, we're better off when we have people with experience. Okay. Uh, anything you want to say, Linda? <laughs> in your defense? <laughs> in my defense. Uh, other than the fact that we recognize uh, that there is this salary difference and 
as, as President Shalaya has said, it is a market difference and, and, in terms of what the demand are. But what, what we would say is that there's also some examples in our report of, about how we can encourage individuals to have shared faculty and clinical service roles. And, and, and in those situations, uh, the individual, so this is not for, for if you're in a research intensive university like the University of Miami, you know, you got faculty who are, have, have very productive in terms of the research and, and, and they don't, they're not doing that much clinical. But you could take someone like a, and a clinical nurse specialist for my organization or a nurse practitioner and they would, and, and they would be on faculty at, say, at, at UCLA for, uh, 25% of the time and the rest of their time w was here at, at Cedar sinai and together they still, they, they're not on a tenure track, but they are faculty positions that would allow them to, you know, help in the faculty role, but also uh, reap the benefits of being in service. I think that's absolutely right, uh, Linda. The problem is for accreditation purposes, we have to have a certain number of tenure track faculty. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. where we get caught. Okay. And also, I... No question that... Uh, <clears throat> I want to comment that sure. uh, law, Denner. business, and um, dentistry, medicine, all other professional schools within the university have faced this salary difference by giving a factor to professional uh, professors. I know it's uh, a problematic, but I don't think it's more problematic in the nursing schools than it is in the other schools professional schools within uh, the university. But law and business also are required to have a certain number of tenure-track uh, uh, people as part of their accreditation. So we're really, I think we're a little hamstrung by the accreditation requirements in our institutions because there's no doubt that we can find plenty of people with clinical experience use a combination of flex time and hmm. a bonus system uh, to bring them in, but at the end of the day, we still have to have PhDs, and we can't get All right. around that. All right. Well, that's a very, very interesting area of fertile ground, uh, I can imagine, for, for further discussion. And I guess in the remaining minutes, here, here's what I, I guess I'd like you to do. Uh, President Shalala, there is an implementation conference that's coming up. Give us sort of a preview of what's to come, and also uh, how can people stay involved? Well, we need to build coalitions at the state level and at the national level, but particularly state by state. And nurse leaders and new nurse leaders need to step up in their states, get organized, go talk to their legislators, talk to the medical societies, talk to the leadership, the healthcare industry, um, find partners and supporters and get and get some of these things done. Okay, okay. And is there, uh, maybe Linda burns and I'll turn to you, is there a way that people can kind of track what happens with some of these recommendations and sort of, you know, if they're going to get involved in coalitions to sort of stay in tune with sort of the efforts everywhere around the country? Yes, there is. And, and, and just to mention that I hope that people will uh, c uh, call in uh, and be a part of the the website that's going to be going on uh, uh, on November 30th and uh, on, on November 30th and December 1st, okay. uh, where we will be talking about the implementation, uh, and we will have the opportunity. Uh, people will have the opportunity to view that. In fact, there's a lot of what are called RAMs, uh, regional action meetings, uh, where individuals are, are getting together with consumers and other professionals to watch uh, the, this program that will happen 
uh, and then there, it's always the website uh, that we and it is that you can go to uh, to be able to get additional information, uh, which which is at the uh, initiative on the, on the future of nursing all in one word. Uh, uh, dot com. All right, so that initiative on the future of nursing dot com, and you're telling me that that is where one would be able to find out about m- all of these details, and turning, right. in, including how to uh, stay tuned to this November thirtieth, uh, December first event. Right. But if I if I might go ahead, the first thing that people need to do is to join their professional organizations. Yes. You have no clout if you don't have good representation and good leadership and. Um, getting nurses to step up. Nurses outnumber doctors by three to one in the state, and yet their lack of organization, lack of willingness to step up and pay some dues and get it, their hands dirty in, um, uh, in state politics is just regrettable. All right. Well, doctors don't have the same attitude. Okay. <laughs> All right. I see some sleeves rolling up uh, uh, as we speak. Uh, Pat Better, I think. Uh, thank you, uh, Pat Better. I think I'm going to give you the last word. Um, I mean, you're you're right in the all the sort of details in in a lot of your research about you know what what all the knowledge that's got to go along to sort of bring about the greater empowerment and um, kind of uh, any way for folks to sort of stay tuned to the work that you're doing as as we go forward. Yes, you can stay tuned to the uh, Carnegie um, Foundation um, for the Advancement of Teaching website. We've had one major webinar on interdisciplinary teaching, and I can also tell you that we're collaborative partners with uh, American Association of Colleges of Nursing, with the National League for Nursing, and we're working uh, within those two, uh, two and other organizations, the National Student Nurses Association, to really have an impact on changing curriculum. And we've been really gratified to see that uh, uh, deans of nursing are buying every faculty member copies of the book, and faculty are really actively engaging in upgrading nursing education. So I think it is a wonderful moment of opportunity, and I'm so grateful for the um, uh, vision and reinforcement of the IOM and uh, Robert Wood Johnson reports and um, also the CUSIN project. I think there, that we may have a perfect storm brewing where we can coalesce and um, form solidarity and, and, and bring these new changes for improving health care into the forefront. Well, on that very positive note, I want to thank you, Patricia Benner. I want to thank Linda Burns-Bolton and President Donna Shalala from the University of Miami. Uh, really uh, fantastic that I was managed to get the three of you uh, and your busy schedules all on and with us at the same time. Really great stuff going on, and we intend to stay tuned to it. So thank you again, and thank you all our active participants. As I said, there were over a 1,000 of you, and uh, you're still uh, chatting away with one another. A reminder that you can download this chat when you log off the program today, and if anybody only joined by phone and you're not on the website, just email us at 
info at IHI.org, and we'll send you a chat transcript as well. Next up on WHI, that's on December 2nd, 2 to 3 p.m., some new thinking about bending the cost curve, and that's going to feature IHI's Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer Jeff Selberg and Robert Murray, who heads up the State of Maryland's Health Services Cost Review Commission. Interesting new thinking uh, and modeling going on there. We hope you'll join us information on our website, uh, at, where you can also, by the end of today or first thing tomorrow, uh, find an archive version of this program. You can also find it on iTunes. There's also a wonderful resource document that Vicki Minden puts together capturing uh, things we knew about in advance and things we learned about in uh, on the program today. So take advantage of all of that. The people who make WIHI possible, they include Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, and Vicki Windham. Minden, boy, Vicki, I gave you a new last name, Vicki Minden. The music that opens and closes WIHI, these are original arrangements by Aaron Flanders on guitar and Miguel Sapasoa on piano. And I want to thank all of you for your very, very vibrant uh, conversation today. You're engaged in this. That's a huge good sign. Please check out the WIHI website website to keep up uh, with all the programs we have in the making. And uh, if you don't mind filling out a brief survey when you log off today, we want to know what you thought and how we can continue to improve this. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care, most of all, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. Mm-hmm.